Here's where we are. Here's the easiest way I can kind of start this. There's a bunch of different pictures I'm going to try to paint because the subject we're going to look at today has a lot of uh, confusion and to some degree a lot of history depending on how you grew up. But a few, uh, probably a couple of months ago, Lori and I returned from a trip. We'd been gone like four or five days. And if you, if you're at our house and you go, we have a, a what do you call it? The, we call it a deep freeze. It's one of those ones where you open up from the top. We put, we put, you know, stuff in there like meat that you're going to keep for a long period of time. So last year, uh, shot a buck, put the head on the wall and put the meat in the freezer. All right. If you don't like venison, then I, I, honestly, I don't know what to do with you, but I'm just saying, so we put this venison in, in the freezer and it was amazing. We had like four or five, six different meals in there. But when we returned from this trip, we noticed, man, there was some stinky stuff. I mean, it's like, what is wrong with this? And we noticed that it, it seems like almost as soon as we left, the power went out to the freezer, right? The power just went out. And so even though this is a, just an awesome freezer and we spent a lot of money on it and it had done a great job since it wasn't hooked up to the power source, everything ruined. And it reminded me that this freezer is a dependent appliance, no matter how awesome it is, if it is not plugged into a power source, then it is not going to function. And it reminded me, if it's not plugged into electricity, I don't know how electricity works, don't know how it works, but I know that it benefits me and I know that I really, really need it to do its job or everything ruins. I say that to say, if you weren't here last week, in John chapter 15, Jesus makes a statement that is somewhat even hard to try to put your hands around, and he says this. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, just tease that out a little bit. What does that mean? I mean, Jesus chose the word nothing on purpose, and he says, apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, nothing might look like discipling your kids. It might be uh, treating your spouse the way you are supposed to treat her. It might be hearing from the Lord about some guidance that you need, but whatever it is, he says, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. And so in John chapter 14 and in John chapter 16, Jesus spends an extraordinary amount of time on a ministry and he hits it from so many different angles that is confusing to a lot of us and it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on how, where you grew up or how you grew up, when I say the word, the Holy Spirit, different things come to mind. If you didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up in church. When I heard the Holy Spirit, I kind of thought Holy Ghost or Casper or something like that. But even if you grew up in church, and we have all different kinds of backgrounds at Biltmore Church, all, and we need to learn from each other. Generally speaking, when it comes to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, there are two camps that says a lot more about our history necessarily than the actual doctrine or what the Bible teaches and what we're going to go over, what we're going to go over today. Camp number one, and again, we want to learn from all of us. We want to have a posture of learning from each other. But the two basic camps, camp number one would be, let's just call it the Pentecostal charismatic camp. Some of you grew up in that. Some of you, that's, that's kind of where you are. And that's awesome. I mean, your, your worship tends to be very expressive. Um, you tend to see the moving of the Holy Spirit in what theologians call the sign gifts. You know, it's like, man, God's doing miracles there and God did that. The, the one thing that probably that camp has to be careful of is making the Holy Spirit the celebrity because as we're gonna see is the Holy Spirit's job is a spotlight ministry. It puts the spotlight on Jesus. On the other hand, some of you grew up in a more Baptist or a more reformed tradition. 
And for you, you're like, you know, 100%, you believe in the Holy Spirit because it's all over the scriptures. But you're just not sure what to do with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You're not sure. You're kind of scared of it just a little bit. You know he's important, but you're just not sure how he works. He's kind of like the plus sign in an equation. It's like it's super important. I just don't know what to do with it. And so what we're going to look at today and what my goal would be today is to challenge you and push you to, to say, okay, what does the Bible say? And we're not, it's not going to be exhaustive. We're not going to go through, it's not a series on the Holy Spirit. But John chapter 16 has at least three of the ministries. And if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit has worked in your life, whether you knew it or not. And some of it is like, oh, that's what was going on. That's what was going on. And others of you, it's like, okay, that's what he's doing right now. And then for others of us, it's like, man, I need that. I need more of that. I need more. I don't see that in my life. And that bothers me. And I need to make, make some changes. So John chapter 16 is where we're going uh, to be. The context is from where Jesus says this, in less than 24 hours, Jesus is going to be dead. This is the night before, the next day, he's going to be put on a cross for the, to pay the sin debt of the world. In three days, he's going to come up out of the tomb. In less than two months, he is going to send back to his father in heaven. And so this is like the last pep talk, the last locker room talk with his band of 11 disciples who are going to change the world. And to think about that, what would you talk about? What would you talk about? And what we've seen from about chapter 14 up to chapter, through chapter 17, he is going to say, okay, this is what you got to know. You got to know. And amazingly, a lot of this is about the ministry of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So let's walk through this. Let me give you, I felt pretty Baptist this week. So you actually got three points. You don't have a poem, but you do have three points. Point number one is found in verse six and seven. And here's what it says. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow, grief has filled your heart. You're like, what's going on with them? We'll come back to that. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. In other words, listen up. Get off Facebook, focus on what this is. I'm about to tell you something you need to know. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I know that's hard to believe. It's actually hard to grasp. I'm like, would we actually vote that way now? That if I have a choice, I'm gonna have the helper or am I gonna have Jesus with me? I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. All right, if you're taking notes and encourage you to, it says this, uh, put down point number one is he comforts me. He comforts me. And so what my job is, is my job is to reach up to him or to reach out to him. He comforts me. So I reach out. He says, I say these things to you because sorrow has filled your heart. Listen to me, church. That's the way some of you walked in. You're filled with grief. You're filled with anxiety. You're filled with strain. You're filled with all of that. And you go back 2,000 years ago and you had 11 disciples and Jesus is recognizing, listen, emotionally where they are is they are freaking out and there's a reason that they are. One of the things we talk about in Bible study all the time is you ask three questions. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And then what does it mean to me personally? In that order, the order is key. And so what did it mean then? So when Jesus tells them this hey, grief has filled your heart. What is he talking about? So the easiest way to do that is to look back a few verses and to figure out what the context is. So let me summarize it for you. Starting in about the middle of chapter 15, he has painted a theme that, you know what? As my disciples, there are gonna be some people who are against you, and he calls it the world. He says, the world will hate you because the world has hated me. 
Now listen to me. Some people loved Jesus and some people hated Jesus. Very few people had no opinion about Jesus. And what he says, verse after verse after verse, he says, listen, the world hated me, it's gonna hate you. The world persecuted me, the world's gonna persecute you. And then he states a principle, he says, why? Because a servant is not above his master. In other words, Jesus saying, I'm the master, you are the servants, they're persecuting me, why should you get off scot-free? They're gonna treat you the same way some of them treated me. And then you get into chapter 16 and he says, guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna kick you out of the synagogue. Now that means nothing to us. But if you were a Jewish young man in that time, that was everything. That was your social life, that was your spiritual life, that was your worship life. I mean, today, we just go to another church. But there, you get kicked out of the synagogue, you can't worship with God's people, you don't see the people you normally see. That was everything. And then he goes on, and right before he gets into this passage, what he starts talking about is in like, even in verse four, he says, I, I say this stuff because I don't want you to be surprised. Now, you need to understand this because this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you're gonna go like sold out for Jesus, every once in a while, you are gonna get a bloody nose because you run smack dab into the world. Now, it doesn't mean because you're a jerk for Jesus, all right? We got plenty of jerks for Jesus and they, people don't like them, not because of what they stand for, just because they're jerks. We don't need that. But if you stand for the Lord, because there are times when the gospel worldview is antithetical to the world worldview, you understand me? Whether it become about money or sex or power or protecting life or something like that, if you actually stand for the gospel, there will be times when people will not like you. Now, if you're like, nobody, nobody dislikes me for that. Nobody dislikes me. You've got to ask the question then, do I actually do, am I actually going the same way as the world goes? Because if you never bump into the world, that means you're going the same way. And a lot of believers, by the way, are. When you talk about how the world uses money versus the way that, the way that Christians use money, I mean, Christians only give about 2.3% to any kind of nonprofit at all, which is pretty similar, pretty, pretty much the same thing as people that don't profess Jesus. Sex, all right? You're like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna wait for sex until marriage, all right? I'm gonna wait for sex. But about the same number of Christians are sleeping around as the same number of non-Christians. So over and over and over again, the question you gotta ask is, all right, am I catching some grief Again, not because I'm a jerk for Jesus, but just because I'm going the way of the gospel. And at times, you are gonna get a bloody nose by running into that. And he says, because of that, sorrow has filled your heart. And I gotta tell you, when the world hates you, it's not fun. Just understand that it's, it's not awesome. It's not awesome when the world hates you. And that's what he says is, listen, sorrow, grief has filled your heart. And so here's what he says. He says, because of that, I will send you a helper. Now, I want you to see there's a bunch of different words. There's a bunch of different words that are sometimes used for helper. Okay, it's actually the word paraclete, which means someone called alongside to help you. So if you were to look at different translations, some say helper, that's what mine says. Others of you, might, it might say encourager. Uh, others of you, it might say, if there's one even that said enabler. All right, it's the idea of somebody come alongside to help. But the, but the most awesome one, I think, the one that's used a lot is comforter. All right, it's just comforter. All right, it is, because why? Everybody likes the snuggy theology. It's the idea, it's like, man, man, some of you on the front row are like, could I have that? Because it's freezing down here. But, the, but here's the point. The point, is, the point is, he says, I'm gonna call somebody alongside and he will be to you what I have been to you for the last three years. Because the last three years, think about it. When they were lonely, Jesus was there to be a, be a companion to them. When they were stressed out, he was there to calm them down and give them peace. 
When they needed guidance and instruction, he was right there to say, not that way, let's go this way. And when they were really discouraged, he was there to comfort them. And what he's saying is, listen, I'm gonna go away, I'm gonna go away, but I'm not gonna send you somebody less than me, I'm gonna send you somebody like me so that he can be to you what I have been to you for the last three years. And he calls it the helper, the paraclete, the comforter. And what you gotta understand is Jesus purchases for you peace at the cross and then he sends the Holy Spirit so that you can then experience that peace that he bought for you. And when you look at the text right here, you gotta, you gotta be thinking, okay, does any, I mean, anybody in here need some peace? I mean, listen, Arjun, this is last service of the day. Last service, you got other services going on around the 828. Any, anybody in here needs some, anybody in here needs some peace? Man, yeah, anybody in here needs some comfort? Anybody in here need some guidance? Anybody in here got, man, some relational strain going on at the house? Anybody in here got a prodigal who won't come home? Anybody in here got a habit that they can't seem to break? Anybody in here got some grief they can't seem to overcome? Anybody in here have some relational difficulties that just can't seem to be mended? He says, listen, I will send you somebody just like me. And you're like, well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I want Jesus. And I understand that. But look what he says in verse seven. This is, this is crazy how he says this. Not crazy, don't like write me an email crazy. I'm talking about, it's crazy to think about that he said this. Look what he says. He said, it is to your profit, it is to your benefit, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, if you're a disciple back then, that's gotta be pretty hard to understand. And it's pretty hard for us to understand. Because if we have option A and option B, and option A is, you know what? Jesus is going to be here in the flesh at our church. I can talk to Jesus. Or option B is, he's gonna send the invisible Holy Spirit. So option A is Jesus in the flesh. Option B is the Holy Spirit who is invisible. Most of us, if we're bluntly honest, we're like, man, you know what? If I gotta pick, if I gotta pick, I'm picking, I'm picking option A. Because I really would love to talk with, I'd love to talk with Jesus. And here's, the, here's, the, here's what he's saying. When Jesus was here on the earth and he wrapped himself in humanity, he relegated himself voluntarily to being in one place at one time. I mean, look at it. When, when he's walking around, he didn't, most of you all have traveled more miles than Jesus traveled in his whole lifetime. And he relegated himself. He said, you know what? I'm not going to use my deity to be in a bunch of different places. I'm gonna be in one place at one time. And here's the way that works. Let's just say, let's say Jesus phoned ahead and he called and he said, I'm gonna be at the church. I'm gonna be at Arden and I'm gonna be at Arden at the 11 o'clock service. That's, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna show up in the flesh. I'm gonna be there. And then he tells me, because I get to him first. So I like, hey, what do you wanna do this afternoon? He's like, I'm gonna go home with somebody. And so since I'm the first one there, I'm like, hey, come home to Mills River with me. And so here's what would happen. So all, all over the 828, from Franklin to more, they go, people get in their cars, they go off to different places. Franklin, Mars Hill, Black Mountain, Waynesville, Weaverville, you know, everywhere. They go, they, they scatter. So here's the deal. If, if he's with me, if you need Jesus and he's with me in Mills River and you need him in Mars Hill, you're out of luck because he's with me and I'm gonna take my time talking to Jesus and you're not gonna get him. If, if he's in South Asheville, he can't be with a believer over in South Korea. And so what he says is, guess what? I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit 
And if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and he can be with you in South Korea. He can be with you in South Asheville and he can be with you in Waynesville and me in Mills River. Why? Because he says, I'm not just gonna be with you. I'm gonna be on the inside of you. He said, that's why it's to your advantage. And when you look at it, it's like, you know what? That's, uh, that's pretty cool. And he can comfort me? Yeah, he can. You're like, I like to comfort theology. Well, it, there's something besides comfort. Because verse eight starts saying, not only will he comfort us, but he also convicts us. So you're like, I like the comfort part, but he also convicts us. Now verse eight, nine, 10, and 11 are gonna take a little time. So read every word carefully. And when he comes, it's the Holy Spirit. When he comes, what will he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he goes back to those three, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me again. In other words, I'm gonna go back up to heaven. And then 11, verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the first one is, God comforts us, the Holy Spirit comforts us, so I wanna reach out to him, but also he convicts us, so I gotta I got clean up. I've got the opportunity to at least. Now look what he says, he, he, he jots it down into three aspects, so let me try to drive this home. You gotta understand on the front end, listen, it's, the Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is not a force, the Holy Spirit is a he. It says we can grieve him, we can quench him. So it says when he comes, this is the third person of the Trinity. I know it's super difficult, it's a difficult doctrine, but it's okay if we can't figure out God. I mean, it's like, oh, I can't figure it out, so I can't believe it. That's like, you're standing at Lake Kiwi with a Dixie cup, and you're like, I wanna, I can't get all the Lake Kiwi in my Dixie cup. It's okay. It's all right. Our little finite brains cannot totally understand an infinite God. That's fine. But what you do see here is you see the Father, you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all in this passage. And so when you, this is called the doctrine of the Trinity. Just essentially, here's what that is. There is one God who has existed eternally in three different persons. To clarify it is not three gods like a little God family, all right? It's not like, that's called polytheism, by the way. That's, what, that's actually what Mormonism teaches. And it's not one God in three modes, like God the Father changes his hats, and he changes his hats with God the Son, then changes his hats with God the Spirit. That's not it at all. That's called, actually called modalism. That's not it as well. And the Holy Spirit is not just some invisible force. That's actually liberal Protestantism is what that is. What the Bible teaches over and over again, even though it's almost impossible to understand is the fact that there is one God in three persons who have coexisted eternally. And uh, what does he do? One of the things he does is he convicts. If you've ever sat in church and God has pointed some things out to you, that's the Holy Spirit pointing some things out to you. Like, and what does he say? Number one is sin. If he's ever said, hey, don't do that, that leads to death, that leads to destruction. We see thousands of people that have been saved and baptized. And of those, every single one of them, at some point in time, the Holy Spirit has had to point out, you know what? Your sin is rebellion against the holy God. That's what it is, it's a rebellion. And if you don't turn from your sin and embrace Christ by faith, you pay for your sins, but if you turn and embrace Christ, he pays for your sin. 
And so when you look at it uh, over and over and over again, we talk about this. When we see people baptized, I always say the story is the same, just different names. I was walking along thinking I was too sexy for my shirt. God drops a boulder on my life. Sometimes that boulder is a divorce. Sometimes that boulder is, you know what? Man, I've sinned against the holy God. But either way, I've got to understand the bad news of my sin and then the good news of the gospel. And by the way, if you're a believer, God still convicts. God convicts. It's when God says, hey, what are we here for? Why are we going to this place? Why are you looking at that? Why are you saying that? Now, we oftentimes think just because other people don't see it that God doesn't see it. So this past week, um, I have three brothers, and about every uh, whatever number of years, we all get together. So all three brothers came in this week. Man, you start telling stories about stuff nobody knows and childhood stuff and all that kind of jazz. But it reminded me, the previous trip we took, this time they came up here and we spent a few days at the lake, but a number of years ago, we went skiing together. And so we're skiing and we're somewhat competitive, as you can imagine. And especially back then, we're super competitive, so we're racing. We, we're at these ski slopes, we pay the money to be timed and hit the flags and got the announcer and all that kind of jazz. And I'm paired up against my older brother. And so boom, the gate goes down and we're... <laughs> And he's a better skier than I am. I know it's, man, that, that was actually hard to say. He actually is a better skier than I am. But, and he's faster, so I can see I'm losing. He is starting to pull away, and I'm starting to lose this race. So in a moment of the flesh, I'm like, forget this. So I fly and stop hitting the gates. I just fly down the mountain. And I get to the finish, and I'm like, gold, gold. And I'm waiting for him, and I'm waiting for him. And he's like, man, I can't believe, hi. And he's just stunned that I beat him so bad. And right about that time, the announcer from way up at the top of the mountain said, hey, the guy on the red slope missed the last four gates. It's like, no, no, no. My point is this, is what I thought I got away with was open scandal to the announcer in the sky, okay? He's like, isn't that, that guy right there? Cheater, cheater. And what happens is God points out your sin and maybe nobody else knows about it, but what he's trying to do is develop character in you and what everybody else is like, that's okay. That guy's like, listen, I'm trying to raise you up as a daughter. I'm trying to raise you up as a son. I'm not, if you're a Christian, it's not to pay you back. It's to bring you back and to bring you into joy. And so part of it is a convicting ministry, which by the way is uh, one of the reasons it says this, here's the way it works. Other parts of the Bible say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And another one says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have time to do a deep dive here, but really quickly, by the way, quench and grieve are both love terms. They're family terms. You can't hurt somebody you're not in love with hardly at all. But he says this, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which is I do stuff he tells me not to do. It's like, you know what? He told me not to do that. I'm gonna do it anyway. There's a grief there. But also another one that's a little more scary is he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Quench is actually, it's not that I did something he told me not to do, it's I didn't do something he told me to do. So God tells you to do something in church. It could be related to the sermon, it could be related to a song. So God tells you to do something in church or you're reading your Bible during the week or you hear a song and God like, hey, go do this. And it could be anything. It could be uh, go ask forgiveness, go apologize, humble yourself, go serve somebody, get involved in a ministry, get baptized, read your Bible, disappear. It could be a hundred different things. But what happens is, is once he tells you to do that, you are now responsible for that truth. You understand? Before you might not even have known it, but then he tells you and you're responsible. And the question is, am I going to do that or not do that? And I hate to say this, Many, many times over the years, somebody will come up to me in the lobby and say, hey, man, Lord spoke to me today. And I love that, that's awesome. 
The Lord told me to go, you know, the Lord told me to start reading the Bible with my kids, or the Lord told me to apologize to my spouse for the way that I talked to her this weekend, or the Lord told me to break off this relationship, or you name it. And sometimes, just sometimes, by God's sovereignty, he'll kind of connect me with you a few weeks later, and I'm like, hey, how'd that conversation go with your wife? Hey, how's that Bible reading go with the kids? Hey, how's that going with that apology tour? And if you're like, well, I hadn't gotten around to it, here's what I know is gonna happen. If you don't, first of all, delayed obedience is disobedience. So if God told you to do something, you're like, pretty soon, pretty soon, it's not intention, it's not intention that counts. It's action, am I doing it? That's like you tell a little Scooter, your little four-year-old, hey, go clean your room up, and two months later, Scooter gets around to it, that ain't obedience, all right? And if he says, hey, do this, and you haven't done it, that's disobedience. And so, the longer we wait, initially the voice was really strong, apologize to her. And you put it off a couple weeks, and then it's like, apologize to her. And then you put her off a couple more weeks, and then it's, apologize to her. You can't even hear the voice of God anymore. If it's been a long time, it's been a long time since God spoke to you, the question you have to ask is, what has he already told me to do that I'm not doing? Because he says, I'll convict you of sin, and then I'll convict you of righteousness. You're like, what does that even mean? A lot of y'all are praying for somebody to get saved and you love them dearly and you get frustrated sometime when they're not coming to Christ. Only, only the Holy Spirit can lift the eyes of a person so that they can see their sin in light of Jesus. Because what's the normal thing? Man, I'm better, than, I'm, better than, I'm better than a lot of those people you go to church with. I'm better than my neighbor. And what conviction of righteousness is, is listen, you're not gonna be judged against your neighbor. You're gonna be judged against the sinless son of God. And he says, why, why is it that way? Because I go to the Father. What it means is Jesus is unique. Jesus is the only one that says, you know what? I got up out of the tomb. Muhammad did not do that, all right? Buddha kind of looked pretty cool in his repose, but he's in the grave. Confucius said some trite things and some stuff on Hallmark cards, but guess what? He's in the grave. Only Jesus is the one that got up out of the grave, showed himself to 500 people, and then ascended into heaven. He says, that's why I am the standard. You ever had a, you ever had a curve buster in school? You ever had that? I mean, okay, raise your hand if you've ever like failed a test. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, we hate you. Okay, I'm just saying we hate you because you know what you are? You are the curve buster. You are the curve buster. Bunch of us yodels, man, we're down there failing this test and we're like, everybody failed it so the teacher is gonna give us, a, he's, gonna, he's gonna grade it on a curve. All right, you're Mr. Know-it-all, Mrs. Know-it-all. We didn't like you, but in reality, Jesus is the curve buster. All right, he's the curve buster. He's like 100% every time obeyed the law perfectly so we can't say everybody else did bad because the standard is not everybody else. The standard that people have to see, it's, it's Jesus. And then lastly, it says judgment. And here's the part. When I got trained in evangelism uh, way back in the day, I got trained two different ways. One of them was uh, uh, Steps to Peace with God, Billy Graham track, and it's awesome. And the other one was like EE stuff, and that's awesome too. And I used to think the EE stuff, I used to think that, you know, if you, were to, if you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to ask you the question, why should I let you into heaven? I used to think, man, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty in your face, you know? I mean, I don't usually go up to a stranger and go, if you were to die tonight, and if you do that, you're like, are you gonna help me? I mean, are you helping me die? I mean, are you about to assault? What are you gonna do? But it doesn't feel like that weird a question now. 
It's like if you were to die tonight, you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you know my heaven? What would you say? You're like, well, I don't, need, I don't know, I'll be a good person. Listen to me. He says, every one of us will stand before God. And you've got one or two ways you're gonna stand before a holy God. You're either gonna stand before a holy God with self-righteousness or substitutionary righteousness, one of the two. Your self-righteousness isn't very righteous at all when you stand before a holy God and start to plead your case. Well, I was a good guy and I had seven years of theology and you know, I pastored a church, man, that is like, that's rubbish. The only answer at that point is I had a substitute. His name was Jesus. And when I was this year, this, this year's old, I reached out and said, you know what you did on that cross counted for me and Jesus saved me. And now he stands in my place. And you're like, are you trying to scare me? You're trying to scare me? I, yes, I am. Yes, I am. You ought, to be, you ought to be terrified if you don't know. Seriously, you ought to be terrified. You ought to like wear a helmet at night. You're like, I am, I am terrified because you are gonna stand before God. It doesn't matter if you're a deacon, doesn't matter if you're a staff member, doesn't matter if you're a pastor, you gotta know that you know that you know that guess what? Jesus has saved me. Man, if you don't know that, please make sure you know that before you leave church today. It's like, I gotta know. And so here's what he goes on and says this, uh, here's the way he ends it. This is the stuff we talk about all the time. I mean, all the time. There's one thing I've tried to teach in 14 years, it's verse 12 to 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, the next chapter, he's gonna say your word is truth, by the way. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In verse 14, I referred to it earlier, he will glorify me, he will spotlight me, he will put the focus on me. For he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Last verse, all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. All right, so the first one is he comforts you. So what do you do? You reach up. He convicts you. What do you do? You clean up. But here it says he guides you or teaches you. And so what does he say? Listen up. God actually wants to speak to you. He does. I know you might be saying, I'm not one of those spiritual people that God talks to. Now listen, when we say God speaks, I'm not saying audibly. I mean, he can if he wants to. I've been a Christian for 30 some odd years and, and I've never heard the audible voice of God. Never heard the audible voice of God. I've heard some things that I think are much clearer than that. I've heard him give direction that is crystal clear, but I never heard the voice of God. Actually, the only time you hear the voice of God is go home, open your Bible, read it out loud, and that's God's voice. It's your voice, but it's God's word. And when you read it, guess what? You're hearing, you're hearing what God says. So how does this work? The word guide there means lead or instruct or to point in the right direction. So you're here today and you're like, man, I need some instruction. I need to know whether this guy's the, is he the one? I need to know. Is, uh, should I take that job in Pittsburgh? I don't know. I got one in Pittsburgh and I got another one in Vegas. Which one should I pick? Should... Uh, I break off this relationship, should I go, you got tons, you got decisions every single day. And he says, I will guide you. I mean, how awesome would it be to have someone who understood the situation perfectly and could guide you? Now listen, we don't have time to deep dive this one either. We've talked about how does God guide you. So a quick review, he can guide you any way he wants to, he's God. In the Old Testament, he did it every day through, he did it through dreams, he did it through a ton of ways. Generally speaking, in the New Testament, 
what you see the Spirit of God using, sometimes he uses circumstances, sometimes that is subjective, by the way, subjective, subjective. Sometimes people are like, well, man, it's, it's difficult. That must not be the Lord's will. That's, that's ludicrous. Where did the Bible say that because it's difficult, the Lord wasn't in that? I mean, look at the book of Acts. There's some very difficult things. I mean, they got martyred for Pete's sake. If they're like, hey, they're about to kill me, the Lord must not be in that, that's crazy. So it's very subjective. But circumstances, there are times, there are times when he will use circumstances. A few more times, he will use people to speak into your life. I mean, the Lord has spoken to me through people like you all the time. The Lord has spoken to me through my wife a ton of times. But even that is somewhat subjective because sometimes people are wrong. Even godly people can be wrong. The most reliable way, the way that it's probably about 99% of the decisions you have to make are gonna be out of this book. Now, I'm not saying you're gonna be able to chapter and verse, should you marry, marry. There's no place, well, I guess there is a Mary in here, but unless you're dating a Mary, you're probably not gonna find, you're probably not gonna find the name of the person. But what you will find is a ton of different things saying this is the kind of person you look for. This is the kind of person you don't look for. This is the kind of person you better be careful of. And whether it be about money or friends or sex or marriage or whatever, it's all right there. Sometimes it's clear black and white and other times it's just matters of wisdom. It's like, all right, everything that God's word says seems to go in here. But here's what you gotta understand. Two things. In chapter 14, Jesus actually tells them that I will bring these things to your remembrance. Now, this is initially a promise to those apostles. He's like, I'm gonna bring to your remembrance all the stuff that I told you so you can write it down exactly how I want it written down. All right, this is, this is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. So are the personalities of the guys part of that? Yeah, I mean, Peter, you can see in Peter's writings, yeah. But what he's saying is, listen, I'm gonna bring to mind exactly what I want you to write down in the scriptures. But you gotta understand for us, that's why we're always in the word. That's why I'm always trying to tell you, you can read this. That's why when we passed out the Jesus Storybook Bibles, even that you're reading this to your kids, you're getting a lot out of it as well. Because what you're trying to do and what I'm trying to do is put stuff in you so that when you get jostled, when you have to call on it, there's something to remind you. There's something that you can bring from. Okay, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, the, uh, what do you call those things? Pinatas. Like, a, like in Latin American countries, they'll oftentimes have these pinatas, which are like containers full of candy and toys and stuff. All right, and, and they'll put a blindfold on a little kid and they'll have a club and they'll like hit that pinata. And the pinata, if he hits it, will burst out and all the candy comes out. Now listen to me, it's pretty obvious but if the parents never put candy in, Junior can hit the pinata and bust it wide open and no candy's gonna come out. They had to put the candy in for the candy to come out. Same way, it's very difficult for the Lord to remind you of a verse that you've actually never read. So it's like, uh, it's kinda like the guy that's like, Lord, help me on this test. It's like, study, all right, study. That's what's gonna help you on the test. So part of it is why I also say about five, or, I always have five or six verses I'm trying to say all the time and almost every sermon. And part of it is if you never, ever, ever open your Bible, at least after a few weeks, you're gonna have a few verses that are kind of semi-familiar. So like one of them I use all the time is Romans 8.1. There's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, why would I use that one all the time? Because I know that when if you fall, 
Condemnation is the whisper of the enemy and you better have something to fight that with or it's like you're condemned and God didn't want to talk to you and Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with you and what he did for you, that doesn't count anymore. You're gone too far. You gotta be able to take Romans 8, 1. You know what? The Bible says I'm not condemned. That's why uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. That's why I always try to use that one too. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Why? Because like Luther said, we are hardwired toward works righteousness. Everything in me wants to impress God by all the stuff that I'm doing. Sometimes I'll use Psalm 27, 13. Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have despaired if I did not believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Why is that? Because some of you get discouraged and despaired and depressed and you're like, I don't know if God's gonna, I don't know if God's gonna come through. I don't know if God's gonna come through. And what I want you to see is, guess what? There's a guy named David that a long time ago is like, I would have despaired if I did not believe I would see the goodness of God, not just in heaven, but right now. And so if nothing else, when you're in the pit or when you're witnessing to somebody, you can go back to those, to those verses. So here's, uh, here's the reason that the verses need to go back to Jesus. And again, if, if you're new to our church, one of our core convictions is that this whole book is about Jesus. Okay. It's not like the Old Testament is like the grumpy God and the New Testament is like the nice God. It's Jesus and he's happy. All right, the whole, the whole thing's about Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus. From Genesis chapter three uh, to the book of Exodus to the book of Leviticus and all the sacrificial system to Isaiah 53 to John chapter one. The whole thing is either in prophecy or shadow or proclamation. It's, all, it's about Jesus. It's the scarlet thread throughout the Bible. So that's why the Holy Spirit in verse 14 says, listen, my job as the Holy Spirit is to put the spotlight on Jesus. It's a lot less about signs than it is about substitution, okay? It's a lot less about gifts that the Spirit gives as opposed to the grace that Jesus has given when he paid for your sin on the cross. And so uh, I don't know where you are, but for some of you, you need some comfort today. You're like, man, I need some comfort today. I mean, it is hitting the fan at my house. Hell is breaking loose at my house. I don't know what I'm gonna, the anxiety is off the charts. It is tense. I need some comfort. I need some comfort. Others of you are like, I, I got some stuff in my life. I gotta make some adjustments. I gotta make some adjustments today. If I don't make some adjustments today, God's convicted me and I'm afraid if I walk out of here today without making those adjustments, then it's, then it's, it's done. It's done. And some of you, need some guidance. You've got to figure out, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to take this job. I'm going to do that. And here's the great news about that. There's a book I read a couple years ago, actually our whole staff read called Gentle and Lowly, and it's based on Matthew 11. And Matthew 11, 28 says this, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. In other words, those that need comfort, those that need guidance, those that need conviction, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest which means peace, which means comfort. I will give you rest for your souls. So you're here and you need some comfort. You're like, man, I don't know if my prodigal's ever coming home. I'm gonna pray for him. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is ever gonna work. I, come to me. You're like, what kind of reception am I gonna have? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. What kind of reception? And I will give you rest. I will give you peace. And the song that... Um, we're gonna sing, we talk about how do we respond to the gospel every time. We always respond. I'm gonna, and we, we, we always respond. We always wanna respond. Sometimes I'm gonna respond in submission. Other times I'm gonna respond in stubbornness and, the, and I got a choice every time. Sometimes I'm gonna respond, I'm gonna sing 
and sometime I'm gonna go pray. And it varies, but you are gonna respond. Sometime you're like, you know what, I have some regrets. I got some stuff I wish I could do over. I wish I could have a fresh start. Well, man, if you can't get a fresh start at church, if you can't get a fresh start with the gospel, you ain't gonna get a fresh start. Like that song said, you listen, if you're not dead, God's not done with you. There is grace, there is grace. And here's the, here's, here's the way the song goes. It says, are you, I actually forget the lyrics. Are you hurting and broken within? Are you hurting and broken within? Let me just ask this. Anybody, anybody hurting on the inside? I mean, just kind of let's be real. I'm not gonna make you do anything. Just are you, anybody hurting? Okay, okay, about this. Anybody, uh, anybody, anybody need comfort? Just raise your hand. Okay, a few more. Nobody's gonna raise their hand here. Anybody God's convicting of doing some things? Actually more, you guys are awesome. How about this, anybody need some guidance? Raise your hand, okay. This one says, are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. So what I'm gonna do is, uh, if you would now, just stand to your feet. I'm gonna pray and I would ask you to either sing with everything you got or come pray. Again, the thing we ask you not to do, if you're a guest, we won't call you down. If you're a member, maybe, so we'll not call you down. So just don't leave early, all right? But either sing or come pray. And again, maybe it's grab your spouse, come pray. Maybe you come up here and you just want to, like, man, I got, a, I, got a, I got a grandson I'm worried about. You come pray. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing and pray. Father, we want to pray. I just want to pray for my folks right now. Thank you for the, the clarity of John 16, that you will comfort us. God, you tell us to cast all our anxiety upon you because you care for us. And so I pray right now that people would put feet to the song of come to the altar. Come to the altar, just give it to you. We're so tired. Some of that stuff just weighs us down. And you invite us to leave it here. You invite us to leave it here with you. And so my prayer is the next three minutes that people would sing and people would pray that you would be glorified, that the Spirit of God would convict, the Spirit of God would comfort, and the Spirit of God would convict.